everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Clear as Mud, where we talk to artists from all walks of life to discuss their personal and professional journeys that led them to where they are today. I'm your host, Graham Waldrop. Uh, no one's writing Shotgun with me this week. This is a solo interview uh, that we conducted for the first time in the history of the show um, with Andrew Diatroptoff, who is the writer of the game The Lost and the Wicked, which is now available on Steam. We met Andrew at GDC earlier this year. And I uh, thought it would be really cool to get a writer on the show. We've you know, talked to programmers. We've talked to artists. Um, we talked to a producer, but we have yet to talk to a writer on a game. And it was really cool exploring the differences um, between writing you know, novels, screenplays, things like that, versus writing for a video game and sort of the challenge that poses for someone like Andrew, who's not really an avid gamer, who's never written on a game before, but was able to do that come into this game and uh, create a really cool story for The Lost and the Wicked. The Lost and the Wicked is a brutal, twin-stick, psycho-thriller with unique visuals, a kick-ass original soundtrack, and a compelling story with hectic gameplay. If you've played Hotline Miami or Binding of Isaac, it shares a lot of similarities with those games. Um, the art style in particular shares a lot of similarities with, with Hotline Miami in terms of how crude it is in the best way possible. Um, so it was really cool exploring that game with, with Andrew and talking about what it's like to write on a game and being a writer myself, it was really cool to talk about the creative process there with, with Andrew. Hopefully it's not too pretentious, two writers waxing poetic about their favorite writers and talking about what works in, in story and what doesn't and, and how to create a compelling narrative. So hopefully you enjoy this and let's get right to the interview. This is a wild game that you have, uh, that you guys have created, uh, the Lost and the Wicked. I remember uh, walking the GDC uh, show floor and see all these games. You know, I see like the games made by the folks uh, from Sweden and they're very bright and colorful 3D games. Some are 2D games. And then I'm walking around a little bit more and then I, I spot this crazy looking art style that immediately made me think of uh, Hotline Miami and stopped by and that's how I met you, Andrew. It was really cool meeting you and, and playing your game. And uh, art, the, the art style is just like, and, and it sucks that a podcast, uh, at least our podcast, is completely an auditory medium because I would love for the people to be able to see what I'm talking about right now. But just, it was just so, you know, they got this, it's a really cool uh, twin stick shooter just with this, this very graphic, very crude in a good way art style just immediately grabbed me and made me want to want to play the game so i was really happy to to meet you and talk to you and talk to your team about the game and and have you on the show so uh welcome aboard officially and uh yeah here you are after all the audio trouble we went through to get you uh <laughs> get you set up yeah yeah thanks for having me yeah i mean that gdc experience was great and um you know uh meeting you and checking out mudstack and everything was pretty awesome um i think what you guys are doing is really exciting and cool and i think it's going to be um a really productive app for a lot of people because game development can be messy and the more structure that you have to it the better so yeah yeah well thank you that's yeah. uh, we're hoping to be a valuable asset to anyone who wants to uh try and work with us in, in that respect um i'm i'm curious too because when when we talked you said you were the writer of the game and you don't meet a lot of at least for us, we don't meet a lot of people who actually write on games. Mm -hmm. And um, my background is in is in writing um, and producing uh, on a, a film level, um, independent film and TV and uh, some music as well. And so I'm always interested to, to talk with other writers, but I haven't really met a lot of other video game writers. Not to say I ever, when I did work in the industry, was I never really wrote anything. But um, I think that has to be a really fascinating um, process. And we're going to get into that in, in a little bit, but I kind of want to learn more about sort of where you came from, uh, how you got into the, into the industry and sort of, uh, what makes you tick. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, it's kind of a funny story because I have never been an immensely avid gamer. Like I've played a lot of the legacy titles, but I, I really hadn't jumped in too much with the indie game scene. And, um, as we all know, COVID kind of upturned everybody's lives and their lifestyles and all the commitments that they made to people, you know, that they planned to see in that year and a half or so had to be kind of shelved. But, um, my buddy 
Zach, who composed the music for the game, he um, left a internship that he had in Monterey, and he came up and hung out with me in Sacramento for a bit. We were wearing masks and everything, of course. But he was telling me and showing me this game that he made with um, our now developer, Isaac, and it was essentially this art style, and um, it was just awesome. Immediately, like you said, when you walked through GDC and you saw how striking it was, that was the same exact reaction I had was, you know, this is so grungy and cool and interesting. And um, he was working on the music then, and... uh, as as the weeks went by, when we'd keep hanging out, um, we eventually ended up living with each other at a, at a place in downtown Sac. We got a place together. But throughout that process, you know, you become tight with the people, especially because of COVID, you become tight with the people that are in your immediate circle. And um, I got more exposure to the game and I started questioning and I was like, you know, is, is there a is there a plot line here? Like, is there a storyline? Um, and he was like, no, it's just, it's, you kind of like go through the levels and you fight the monsters and you fight the big monster. And, um, that was essentially it. And I was like, well, you know, I think this is really, really cool. Like, I love this idea. Like what if, you know, there was a bit of a narrative structure to it. And so I kind of pitched the concept and, um, Isaac really liked it. And, Zach really liked it, and so then I jumped up on the team, and that's how I got into uh, game development, honestly, narrative development. Cool. So this was like your first real experience then in, in game development. This is my first real experience. Awesome. So is it just the three of you making the game? Yes. Wow. Just the three of us. And who and who's the overall kind of creative lead, would you say, that's kind of like makes the final decision on everything? Uh, I would say Isaac. He birthed it probably, I would say, four or five years ago or so. Okay. Um, so were they pretty far along in development when you hopped on? Like, was it, uh, what, what stage of development were, were, was it in when you were first exposed to the game? It had, I think, like the first two or three levels. Okay. You know? Um, and then we had, like, you know, brainstorming sessions where we decide what the monsters looked like or whatever the case was. Right. But like um, the mechanics and, and the art style, it sounds like was kind of figured out at this point. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. The art style was purely Isaac. Yeah. And from what I know, um, about how, I mean, it sort of depends on what, what studio or what team, but it seems like, you know, story is sort of shaped around design, mm-hmm. um, shaped around, uh, what's going on with the mechanics as opposed to the other way around where kind of a story is laid out and the mechanics are built around it. So, you know, it sounds like to me you kind of entered as a writer in a way that many writers probably enter uh, a game's development. Maybe a little later on than most writers, but definitely like, hey, we've kind of figured out the the feel, the function of, of how everything's going to, uh, going to work in, in this world that we're building. Yeah, no, entirely. The, the the whole graphic concept was there and then it was just a matter of having the narrative arc and the building blocks to have a enticing um structure cool so as a writer um how'd you get the writing bug Ooh, that's a good question um i you know it's I think, um, I don't know if you ever read John Green, but I remember he had a quote one time where he was like, you know, when I was younger, I used to think that like writers were like astronauts, Hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's, there's just this, this, uh, whole other realm of, of a vocation. Um, and so I, I read a lot when I was younger, I still read all the time. Um, and I read the classics when I was younger and you know, it was just this medium that was really cool and fascinating. And, um, I, was a philosophy major and a history minor and um those take a lot of writing but it's good writing and it's it, it makes you a better writer um more writing is always good for better writing so were you more interested in kind of you know your passion of reading fueled your passion for for writing it sounds like so were you more into writing sort of short stories uh novels or did you want to get into more of the visual medium screenplays uh stage plays things like that um i think where it started kind of was like journaling and then as you like start to journal you know when I was in my teens like you start to like oh well I'll just write a little story and then you 
kind of branch out from there and um sort of based on on fact what's going on in your life right yeah. right exactly and then eventually like well what if i play around with this idea and as you especially philosophy i'd say in particular kind of you know a lot of books are conceptually trying to say something and it's just in a story format right the movies etc um so you know that's i'm i'm actually trying to write a book right now um i've worked on it for like three years and that's like my first fiction um attempt um but i you know i think just the medium itself is fascinating i think it's the structure of thought and um portraying ideas you know like after the novel's done you know kind of what you want to work on next or is it sort of like you're just trying to get this novel done that's what you're focused on yeah well yeah i'd say i'm trying to get this book done um but afterwards I, i do want to get into screenplays and screenwriting oh cool um is that a is that a short or a feature? I, I wrote a, sh- uh, a screenplay for a short film that I'd like to try to shoot sometime in the next year or so. We'll see how it goes. Can you tell us what what that's about? It's you know I think it's it's definitely going to be about social media, um, in a in a kind of a cultish manner, and it'll be talking about um, or portraying kind of um, depictions of like worship and um, building altars out of false prophets, et cetera, mm. stuff like that. So yeah. like social media influencers and, and people yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And tying it in with a kind of a religious aspect. Cool. And I think that, you know, one of the great things um, about taking that approach with it too is that from a budgetary standpoint, not to put my producer's hat on right now, but – you know, if it's just, you know, if social media is the main crux of it, you don't have to get too fancy about going to all these different locations or setting in a specific time period or anything like that. It's like that can be pretty contained. Right. But if you if you do it right, it can still be interesting. It's like a, a practical way of approaching trying to make a short film. You'd be surprised yeah. the amount of people that try to do all this crazy shit trying to make, um, you know, oh, we're going to make a Civil War short film that's going to, you know, cost us $50,000 or something. It's like, wait, wait no, mm-hmm. that's just stupid, right? So. Yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, sounds like you're taking the right approach on that. Well, I, I think also, you know, so much of it, as at least, you know, because I've read screenplays, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, I've read a lot of books in general, you know, and just uh, it's it always comes down to the writing. At least right. when you look at a movie, it seems that way. At least is like obviously it's the directors and the producers and everything, but if the writing is strong enough, everything else is going to come out of it. I think. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I think one of the one of the things that's really fascinating to watch is watching an actor. Um, you know, for example, like if you watch um, this is not to shit on you know a lot of the Marvel movies, but you watch something like uh, the Captain America movies, yeah. which aren't like badly written films or anything, but you watch an right. actress like Scarlett Johansson in that, and then um, you know she doesn't find job what she's given, but you know it's not like a amazing performance or anything as as Black Widow. Or anything, yeah. but then you watch um, Marriage Story with her and, uh-huh. and Adam Driver, yeah. and she just turns it up a notch, man. Proves that she's like a really phenomenal actor. But I think also, if the screenplay wasn't as strong, um, uh, the director's name escapes my mind at the moment. But if the screenplay wasn't no, as strong, yeah, Bombach, yeah, no Bombach. Yeah. Then what? You know, what are you left with? Right, mm-hmm. like the the actor is only as good as, as the screenplay, obviously different calibers of actor, but like, you know, a good script, you're exactly right. Is the foundation of, of what can be a great film. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I, you know, I, I think that probably it has a, an actor can be incredibly talented, but they're only as talented as the writing is letting them be. Probably. I think it's probably hard for actors to really soup up a bad script. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they'll try their damnedest for sure. But they'll um, try their damnedest, definitely. Yeah. But in the end, it's about the writing. So that's that's something that's really cool for me because, you know, I can write this novel and then I can also, you know, work on the short film and then work on other conceptual ideas for uh, screenplays and everything, and just have an understanding. And I would say the philosophy helped quite a bit in having that understanding of filling in an idea with a narrative structure, you yeah. know, like trying to really not push a concept, but you know, you're, you're trying to say something. Yeah. Right? Like if, if you're putting it out in the world, it's not just like, Oh, these two guys get a coffee and then they have a bagel then they go home. You know, it's like, no, there's something that you're trying to express 
and there's a there's a concept that's trying to you're trying to help not help but you're trying to depict the people to understand where you're coming from and maybe how you see the world or you know you want to challenge this theory etc and so um i i think that you know the philosophy really helped in in filling out and and how to fill out that kind of um that chunk that you have that period that you have where you can fill it with dialogue and you can fill it with a sense of something and that's what's so cool about writing you know and that's what's so cool about the medium is just that if you do it correctly and effectively um it can be extremely powerful yeah and i think too the philosophy uh major must help a lot too because there's a lot of different perspective in philosophy right and you get a lot of different perspective you, that, that breeds conflict right. um you know which is obviously the the crux of 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 dramatic writing um yeah. so Tragedy. that I mean that's got to be a yeah like you said that's got to be a huge influence on on what you're doing too it makes you more well-rounded as a writer to bring different perspectives because i think one of the things that bugs me when i read anyone's script sometimes it happens and stuff i work on is um characters sound the same characters yes. like you could interchange dialogue uh between right. characters and you would never you'd be like oh yeah it's like like the characters don't have an independent voice a unique voice you know and that that always drives me crazy when when someone brings me a script i'm like you know that character could have said that like that shouldn't be the case you know i know that aaron sorkin talks about it how he's very animated when he writes right because he's playing out all these different characters and he's trying to through the writing right yeah. I mean, he's playing out the movie in his head and through the writing, he's trying to have that portrayed. That's, I think that's how you really have to do it is you have to be tenacious about um, trying to get those characters on the mark, trying to get the, for a modern term, like the vibe of them that comes off the page. And that's, that takes a lot of empathy in a sense. You know, you have to be empathetic to all different types. You can't just write your life story through all of these different characters that have the same tone it's like you have to you have to sit in somebody else's shoes and and really take on their perspective on how they would see the world and how they would react to something in the scene or react to something you know in the in the film or the the novel or, or etc yeah for sure so one of one of the things i find fascinating is a different constraints um when you're writing for different mediums right like i mean screenplay totally different than writing a novel yeah and i imagine you know writing a game is sort of like could be a cross almost between novel writing and and film in a way because you're dealing with a visual medium but you're dealing with it in a in a in a very different way than you would deal with with a film i feel like especially with y'all's game there isn't like from what i can tell there wasn't uh you know voice acting really Mm-hmm. Um, you know the char- you know, characters aren't talking to each other in the no. sense that they would talk in the same way that they would talk in a film or even in uh, a, a novel. And you're sort of constructing the narrative. It seemed like from a third third person perspective, right? In the in the video game, yeah, yeah. So take me through like the differences and challenges of being like, all right, I have this kind of knowledge base of 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 film and 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 novelization, but going to write a game. What kind of constraints are are placed upon you as a writer? What strictures are imposed? Well, it was you know it was interesting because it was quite the adaptive process. You know, like I really had to had to lean on Zach, the music composer, who probably is the most avid gamer out of all of us, to really understand the rhythm of how it'll be portrayed in a game. You know, so whatever we wrote, like I would write something, and then it would be like, well. Maybe it's fine writing, but it wouldn't work very well in the game because it's not direct enough, you know. Mm-hmm. And so then you're slowly but surely kind of chiseling your way to find the balance between directness and still evoking some sort of emotion, you know, or trying to color in a character. How do you write around an already built level? You take the elements that make the level interesting visually but also just kind of tonally and then you kind of infuse them into a sort of dialogue you know and you also really adapt your as we were talking about before you really adapt your um what would you call this script i guess um Mm -hmm. to the level format you know and 
that's essentially, you know, when, when you're playing through it, you're like, okay, here there should be dialogue, here there should be dialogue, here there should be dialogue. So you're kind of working within the constraints of uh, having a few particular moments to be able to infuse that arc of the story in there. Right. And what about like levels that were created as you were writing? Or was that a, what is that a thing that happened? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're kind of adapting on the fly because like Isaac would have an idea for some really cool graphic thing. And I was like, okay, well, uh, you know, I, I wasn't working on writing anything like that, but I'll just add it, you know, somehow mm-hmm. I'll add it so that it makes sense. Yeah. So it's like he would have the idea for the level and then you'd be like, okay, I'm going to write based off that. Right. Exactly. Okay. And make it all make sense within the narrative structure. Right. So one of the things I think that was that was interesting um, about how Hotline Miami did it, mm-hmm. and I, I hate to keep using that as a comparison, but that's just what it reminded me of. No, it's a great game. Um, your game, yeah. As uh, for those that aren't familiar, if you play this Hitman, you go to all these different places and kill mm-hmm. all these gangsters, but eventually, uh, uh, and each level is really tough and brutal, and it's very visceral, but. Um, after a while, it becomes sort of a thing where you start to realize you're getting, you're sort of getting played by these weird people in masks and, you know, but the gameplay isn't really interrupted that much. Like when you're playing a level, you know, you're playing a level and then it's not like there's a lot of dialogue unless there's a boss that comes in or there's downtime between levels. But I always found like that game had a really good balance of like introducing narrative kernels as each level goes along, sort of starts making you question the reality of the character that you're playing as. But it keeps you really invested in the, in the gameplay. And I always think that, you know, some games now, the really big cinematic games, can sometimes get rely too much on, on the cinematic flair. And as much as I like that, it's always, but I always come back to this, like, gameplay is king. But if the story can support the gameplay, then that's when you really win. So I always felt like Hotline Miami did a great job balancing narrative and, and story and kind of infusing it into one, but not letting the narrative get in, get in the way of the gameplay or feel like it was a, a burden to have to go through the story. Was that, what was the challenge like for you to make sure that the gameplay and the, and the narrative kind of coalesced? Mm, yeah. I mean, I think that's a great example. That's always the game that, that we're uh, compared to. And I, I, I think they do a fantastic job of Like you were saying, given those kernels, um, you know, I, I think it's very similar is that you're just trying to give enough to push the story along and build the intrigue as you, go throughout the levels. Um, now I think that, um, you know, we definitely wanted to, and that was the big moment of writing for me in this game was writing those cutscenes that we'd have in the game where, mm-hmm. you know, it would be a flashback or it would be, you know, um, some sort of, um, memory or realization that needed to be, um, realized to the player Um, and so that's an opportunity to really kind of fill in the gaps in a sense. I guess that's the way you're kind of looking at it is you're looking at the entire thing as a big gap that you're trying to fill into in order to get to the end point, which is the, the final part of the story, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, yeah, you just keep pushing it along and then you have like this big moment of dialogue and then it just keeps pushing along again. And it, 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 I'm always, I always like when, you know, like Hotline Miami or, you know, a lot of movies or anything, but like when there's just this one part of dialogue that completely shifts your perspective on what you're actually seeing, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that we really tried to do that and have this kind of slow burning effect before it eventually kind of, um, uh, just, you know, gets, gets really big and interesting and, and, uh, dramatic. Cool. Yeah, because I think that's like the thing that could get lost, right? Is a narrative in a game like that that is so, so gameplay heavy. So yeah, I'm interested in actually playing through the full game and and seeing like, okay, how is the narrative interwoven? Yeah, are you telling the truth or are you full of shit? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And you know, I think the Binding of Isaac is also a great example because I, I still, you know, I, I personally, I just believe that people need stories, you know, it's like that Jim Diddy and we tell ourselves stories in order to live. Like I believe that wholeheartedly. And I think that, you know, I I think that an enticing idea is just enough to really, 
I think it's enough to really provide this color to a game that you know it it, it would never have if it didn't have that storyline and didn't have that interesting thing that it's trying to tackle. Right. You know? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to be able to use the medium and, and explore interesting concepts like that, you know. So who, who, are, you, who are some of your favorite writers or, or influences on you in your writing? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I really love John Updike as like a novelist. Really a big fan of John Updike. Um, I like Hemingway. Mm, um, I don't know if you heard this modern writer, Sally Rooney. Mm-mm. She's really good. She wrote um, Normal People and Conversations with Friends. Um, she's like an Irish writer. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, um, I'm a big fan of Hemingway in particular, uh, I think. Uh, especially his short stories. They're just great. Yeah, he's he's really was a brilliant writer. Yeah. Um, yeah, Hemingway is fantastic. Uh, I've actually been reading... Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, he wrote, he had his personal essays mm-hmm. called The Crack Up, and it kind of like shows his descent with his alcoholism. And it's huh. really. I never really, heard of that. That's cool. Yeah. I have to check it's, that it's out. It's really interesting. Um, and then also, I've been reading uh, David Foster Wallace. Okay. Yeah. Nice. He's, he's Anything cool. on the uh, screenwriting side? Any screenwriters? Yeah. I mean, Robert Towns. Yeah. Um, uh, like what's it? Chinatown. Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, let's see who else. Uh, you know who else? Um, what's his name? Taylor Sheridan. Yeah. Yeah. He's really, God. really come on strong. Like Hell or High Water, I think, is a wonderful film. I mean, yeah. a wonderful might not be the best descriptor for it, no. but I, <laughs> I freaking I love that movie, man. Like yeah. Chris Pine's best performance. Uh, By far. Jeff, Jeff Bridges is, is out of this world in it. Um, yeah. That's just that's just a good old fashioned movie right there. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It feels like exactly what you want it to when you go into it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Good characterization. I like it's two different sides of the law, but you spend like equal amount of time with these two partners and right. learn about their uh, quirks, and then they collide by the end of it. Um, right. Yeah. If anyone hasn't seen that, it's on Netflix. Everyone has Netflix. Watch it. It's a great movie. No, it's it's fantastic. Wind River is also a really good one that he wrote. Um, yeah, Wind River was cool. Yeah, Wind River was sick. I, you know, I like how he writes westerns, but he also has a very modern sensibility about them, which I think is really sick. Um, yeah, yeah, all his characters feel re- fully realized. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, Sicario. Sicario. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fantastic movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that one. Um, let's see somebody else. I mean, Aaron Sorkin, obviously. Sorkin's big, always kind of bugged me a little bit. You think, so? I, think yeah. I think he's a great writer. I mean, I'll never, yeah. I'll never come close to like carrying Aaron Sorkin's jockstrap. But the thing that kind of bugs me about his writing style is I feel like he write his writing is his dialogue is so good. It's like no one talks like that. Yeah, and you kind of have to suspend your disbelief. Like real people right. don't talk like that. But it's well, great he, writing at the same time. Yeah, I mean, he's interesting because, you know, it's very much this idealistic idea of how you can talk and interact with people, you know, and it's always this optimistic sense, at least from what I see, at least, you know, when you watch The West Wing, for instance, like it's a very, very optimistic look at politics and the people that are involved in it, you know, and the writing, I mean, the writing and the dialogue and the speech is so clean and perfect and everybody is witty. Yeah, you everyone know. knows exactly what to say at the perfect time. Exactly. It feels like, yeah. Exactly. And so, I, yeah, I, I agree. It, it is a very kind of um, sanitized way of looking at or kind of watching a movie and feeling the dialogue. Yeah, but, um, I love a lot of his stuff. Like, I mean, Social Network to me is one of the better screenplays you can read. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, that movie is phenomenal. That yeah, it's a great incredible. film. It's going to be yeah. a, like all like uh, it's going to be a relic probably. You know, yeah, just about yeah. time, you know, especially because it was written, what, like four years after Facebook was public, right? Yeah, I think it came out in 2010. The book came out, I think, a couple of years after, like three or four years after Facebook launched. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it's not even, it's before, you know, the whole social media politics craze of now, you know, so it's an interesting look at that period in time 
and it's almost like a period piece at this point. Yeah, exactly. I think I think it really is will be a relic for people to watch and be like, huh, okay, interesting. Like, yeah, that's not how we see social media now, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Um, what about you? What kind of screenwriters do you like? I've always been a huge fan of um, the three Davids. I call them uh, David Chase, who, who created The Sopranos. A huge uh-huh. influence on my my writing and the way I. I write characters. Mm-hmm. Um, David Simon created the wider, the wire. Yep. Um, I just think the way he portrays characters also is just like everyone. It's just, you believe you feel like you're watching like a documentary. Like Sopranos is very funny. Mm-hmm. It's like dark comedy with mixed with drama, sure. but the wire feels like you're watching a, a documentary. And I feel like is writing in other shows like Treme generation kill. Um, we own the city just came out. It's like all, all his stuff feels like, this is exactly how people talk. I've just never seen yeah. characters realize like that on screen before. And from any, right. and the way he can write for anybody, he can write for black people, white people, gay people, lesbian, uh, doesn't matter like what nationality right. is. It's like he, or, or denomination or sexual orientation. It's like, he just treats everybody like a character and he does it in a way that's so captivating. Um, he's right. great. And I, I like David Milch a lot, especially for Deadwood. Um, Mm-hmm. Even though that's never watched that one. Yeah, it's really good. It's like Shakespeare in the old west. It's like it's it's kinda like he reminds me of Sorkin in the sense that his style is very stylized, but um mm-hmm. um you really have to like I have to watch it sometimes with subtitles on because everybody is also like really eloquent, but they're also talking like they're in the you know eighteen seventies. And so it's like you really just mm-hmm. gotta gotta pay attention so so in depth with, with how he uh with how he writes his characters. But yeah, those guys I like a lot. Um I love Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola. Um, oh, for sure. I think his his run of films in the seventies, um, Godfather, Godfather Two, okay. uh, The Conversation, and Apocalypse Now. I don't think anyone has a better run of nope. of, of films for film run. Like, nope. I have some friends, some some film friends, always get in the argument over who's the best director, modern like living director. Is it? Is it Scorsese or Spielberg? And I'm like, Coppola beat the hell out of them in the seventies, and that's when everybody was at the top of their game. So. I'll take Coppola, man. And that run is incredible. I mean, the conversation is <laughs> unbelievable. If if one director had that as like their pinnacle film, they'd still be considered pretty brilliant. That's in the run of The Godfather 1, 2, and Apocalypse Now. That's that's incredible. What's crazy is that conversation in Godfather 2 came out in the same year. It's like, how do you do that? Did they really? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that's, um, that's insane. Yeah, Coppola's always a guy I, I, I go back to. Um, there's definitely others I'm I'm forgetting, but like the, those those guys always stand out to me as as people I'm really uh, really inspired by. Yeah, definitely. Um, Paul Schrader, like Paul Schrader a lot. Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. uh, even his new film. Uh, I didn't see his newest one, but I, I liked. Uh, oh God, I can't remember the name of it. Is it the, the one with uh, Ethan Hawke? The one with Ethan Hawke where he plays the, the, uh, the priest. First, first Reformed? Or first like, Reformed, yeah. That was really that's, good. That's a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me more about, like, I'm sure you got, like, sort of a cadence at some point when you, you know, I'm sure, you, like, your feet were getting wet initially, but then you, you guys started to work pretty well together, I would, I would imagine, or else the game would have never been finished. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's what's so cool about it is that, you know, we worked so well together. Um, and you know, we created this kind of synergy where, you know, we'd meet up like three times a week and talk about what we were working on and having our, our goals for, um, you know, the next couple of days and staying productive and talking about concepts, et cetera. And, you know, we all started to really like each other. That goes a long way. Yeah. It goes a really long way. You know, when you have chemistry with, people that you're working with. I mean, that's, I mean, borderline, that's everything because if you don't have that, it's going to be hell to be efficient and, you know, have efficacy in whatever you're trying to do. So, um, yeah, luckily we ended up really liking each other and, um, being proud of what we made. Um, so that was really cool. And, you know, that kind of segues into our venture with the, with the weed actually. You mentioned that over email, but yeah, tell, tell the listeners what your, uh, your plans are for that. Yeah. So we started a company called buddy and 
the idea with Buddy is we want to make um, specific experiences for specific games. So our whole idea is that we want to have uh, specific strains of weed for specific video games. Um, and we want the strains to be um, curated to fit the sensibilities of the game. And, and not just from a packaging standpoint, but from the actual like experience you would, you would have uh, on it, I would yeah. assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. from the packaging standpoint, it would be called the, called the game, whatever game we work with. And then, you know, the edible that you would have, which would be the cannabis, um, would be grown to feel a certain way, essentially. Cool. So, like, what were you guys in the in the process of, of getting that off the ground? Or is it off the ground? We're off the ground. Um, we're trying to secure some investments right now. Um, we're still in the process of that. Um, and you know, it's it's been interesting because what kind of spurned the idea was that we had a strain of weed for our Lost in the Wicked game, and we just used it as kind of a marketing idea, where it was like, well, we can get the word out there for the game and have it be a strain of weed, you know? And, um, one, what happened at GDC was all these people were very curious about how the two were correlated, right? Or it's like, well, so do you smoke the weed and play the game? We're like, well, I guess you could, but you don't have to. Right. And it's like, whatever you kind of, you're forced to smoke the weed. You're forced to take the edible. You, you have no choice in it, regardless of age or the, or the legal ramifications of where you are. If you're not in California or Colorado, you have to smoke this shit. <laughs> yeah, sport, yeah. In order to really, <laughs> um, yeah, but that was, you know, kind of this idea we, or question we kept getting more and more. And it was like, whoa, maybe there's something there with that. And also the fact that, the country, I mean the country, the, um, the um, farm that we ended up uh, collaborating with on the strain of weed, um, it ended up being one of their most successful strains. Um, and so that was like, oh, that's interesting. Mm. you know. And I think that part of it, getting back to story, is that I think that the labeling kind of had a call to action that I think a lot of weed marketing doesn't have as much. And so, um, yeah, it's still selling off the shelves and everything. And so we decided, oh, well, why don't we just take this idea and um, make our own company and make this whole idea. Have you reached out to other developers so far? What's the reception been like to this idea? We've kind of broached the topic a bit with a couple. And I think it's been pretty responsive for the most part. Um, You know, I'm sure there will be some at some point that will reject the idea because they don't want to be associated with that. And that's fine, you know, mm-hmm. but we kind of, we kind of want to be almost like a record label in a sense where we just find games that we really dig and really believe in and just reach out and be like, Hey, listen, like we'd really love to have you be a part of our buddy roster, you know, and we're going to have an app um, that'll have like a kind of social feed where people, um, can talk about topics, you know, et cetera, that's related to buddy products or whatever the hell they want to talk about. Um, and yeah, we're kind of trying to create a, a, um, I, 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 I hesitate to say community, but I think more of a fan base and a brand that's really comfortable and easy to access, um, for, um, video game players and people that, you know, might be a bit um, apprehensive about trying edibles and, and getting involved in, you know, consuming some cannabis products. Uh, circling circling back to the, the game, um, how long was development for you guys? It started, did it start during COVID or, or pre-COVID? Uh, it started uh, during- Like your involvement, your involvement in it. At yeah, least. it was during COVID. So that was all remote work, right? It was all remote work. Yeah. I mean, we met up a few times. Um, everybody tested and everything, you know. Right. But yeah, I was involved for about a year and a half. And then how much how much rewriting did you have to do? Oh. Um, like when you submit your stuff, like, right? And then it's like, I imagine you get feedback, but like did something come up in development where it was like, all right, jettison this idea um, because I had to redesign the level or something. Because I know like, 
one of the issues, apparently, that um, Ken Levine, who's uh, creator of Bioshock, with his new company, has been like, he will have an idea. And he's you know also kind of like the creative director of everything. And then his team will go off and build all this, all this stuff, all these assets, these levels, and then he'll scrap it and start over. Mm. Um, so it could be... You know, really stressful on the developers. One of story changes, but it sounds like it was the other way around for you in the sense where it's like the game is already established. You know what you're doing, but did you have to like rewrite a lot because levels were changing or, or aesthetic was changing or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at times for sure. You know, at times it was definitely a matter of kind of taking the pitch and being like, okay, I guess we're going to write this differently this way because you know we, we did have some some new idea that we wanted to to put uh, visually you know and so uh, you're, you're really trying to write to a visual that almost already exists you know and there were times where you'd write and um we, we would uh or isaac would would come up with a visual for what we'd written you know where, where the the graphic idea was created and then it was like okay well then i'm going to write to this and then it's like now we're going to scrap that idea completely because you know, mm-hmm. you're just trying to make the story all make sense and everything. Um, uh, were there any like particular ideas that you had that you like that you hated to lose? Yes, there was one. I would say like the last part of the game. I really wanted to put a scene in, and it just it just didn't work out in the end. Um, there were a couple different like extensions of um, cutscenes that. We really wanted to fit in, but it just didn't work out for what we were trying to do, um, which was a you know a bit of a bummer. But that's okay. That's what happens. You know, that's part of the creative process. So, yeah, I, I find it fascinating that you know game development is all about iteration, but I think that applies to yeah writing as well. Obviously, writing for games like that's intertwined at that point, but writing is iteration. First drafts never the final draft. Neither is the second or the third. So I think like marrying those two together is just must be crazy. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I think it has so much to do with the team that you work with. And you have to be simpatico on what you're trying to do, you know, because it, it becomes very apparent when there's a misunderstanding as to what the ultimate conclusion is of that iteration. Like, where do we go from here? Like, is like, have we made progress or are we regressing? You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's more frustrating when you think you're on the same page and then you're working on something and you realize that's not what we were trying to do. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. like we're completely misaligned into where we actually wanted to go or where we thought we wanted to go. I think as long as like that's correct and that's fine, but if that keeps happening, then it just gets really frustrating. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think so much of that is just a matter of being honest with people. You know? Yeah, because if you hold that in, the criticism or whatever, then it just like... It's going to come out in different ways. It's going to come out, in, yeah, in different ways, and then you're not going to get what you want by the end of the end of the game either. And if, if, if everybody on the team understands, like, you know, we're in this together, like we're a team, like we are trying to finish something, we're trying to finish a goal, but... You need to have, you know, thick skin about the fact that you could be doing something wrong and everybody else could know what needs to be done and they're going to tell you what needs to be done, right? And you have to take it and not get too upset about it. You just have to take it and put it into your goodie bag of how you finish your tasks, and you guys didn't have a producer on this game either in terms of like no so that that's really fascinating to me that like everybody was kind of just accountable and got their shit done and you're able to make it that happen because like, even with like a small team things can spiral if, if people aren't aren't getting their stuff done on time for sure or stuff done in a way where it's like even if it's not done on time it's like you, you can see the, the the progress being made again it just goes back to having that team and having those people it's so important to create relationships that are you know at least from my end like it helps so much to have relationships that are just outside of work also you know like just a bit you know just so that you understand those other sides of people you know because then you can really kind of relate to them so that when you talk to them and give them um 
or they give you some sort of feedback on something, they know where you're coming from, you know, because you're able to relate to them in a way that's more personal. So that like when you have a criticism, a constructive criticism or something, it's not seen as like this huge swipe because you build trust through your mutual sharings of yeah you're aligned at that point right exactly yeah that's that's incredibly important so was this game was it like independently financed or or what what was what was that situation like yeah i mean it was independently financed it was it was really um yeah it was independently financed right on so did you guys do this like full-time or do you have daytime jobs as well and just worked on this in your off hours or yeah so um isaac's a software engineer i'm in actually a real estate um, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm in real estate, and um, uh, Zach works for a uh, restaurant in Sacramento. Word. Well, that's that's inspiring that you guys were able to like complete development on this and get it out. Um, yeah, you're you're not the first guest we've had on here that hasn't or that has gotten something like what they're working on published. But um, in terms of the folks we met at GDC, uh, you guys were the first team to like. All right. Our game is out. It is there. It's on the Steam store. Uh, take us through that that whole process of getting onto Steam, the marketing, that whole machine. It's hard with Steam because like, okay, so you, you try to plan out a day that you want to release it, right? So then you look at the games that are being released and you go, okay, when's the best time? When's the best opportunity for us to, one, be released and two, get onto the page storefront? Because that's essentially how your game lives or dies, right? And so a lot of times, you know, like you, you, we, we had like probably 2,000 plus wish lists on the game um, before we released it. And so, you know, we really thought that, oh, well, this is, this is really good. We can go up against all these other games that have similar or a similar amount of wish lists or less wish lists and we can so how did you get on those wish lists um well people wish list our game basically how how are you getting your game out there to the point where, where people were putting you on their wish list mm-hmm. oh so like like, like twitter mm-hmm. um and having a trailer and everything um to kind of push out on youtube and whatnot but we really pushed twitter quite a bit because i think there's a good conversation that's always happening with the games on there um and so yeah but you're you know you're really trying to push for that window of like 20 to 25 minutes where everything works out where you get enough sales and then you get pushed to the front of the main page right Mm -hmm. and that's essentially how games live or die on steam and you guys you guys made it up there we yeah we did okay there yeah we we got on there for a bit and then um, eventually, you know, there's how, how many games are released on Steam a day? I don't know, 300, 400. Yeah. So that's crazy. So you get that little window of time and that's good and everything. But then eventually you're really riding a lot of the steam of uh, hype at that point. Right. And is the game done done pretty well so far? We've done okay. Um, but, you know, we're really excited about um, partnering with um, – Top Hat Studios in New York. Um, we signed a contract with them, and it's going to be on the PS Marketplace. And we, I'm sorry, we, I always say that. The Switch and the Switch, yeah, yeah and Xbox. Um, and then they're doing all the marketing and everything for it. So, oh, great. So, how'd you get cool. in touch with? How'd you get in touch with them? Actually, GDC. Oh, really? Yep, yep. I was talking to, to um, one of the guys there. Pretty often i kept running into him and he kept coming to the booth and uh gave us his card and everything and then he reached out to us i think a couple weeks after gdc and we were like yeah this is awesome let's do it yeah so that's just like a that's just a publishing company yeah exactly and and then the steam steam was just self-published steam was self-published completely yeah 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 well that's cool now you're gonna get like a lot of people who you know really know not that you guys don't know what you're doing but who've been doing this i assume for a while and can really push your push your game out to you know also three different so now you're on four different platforms, which is which is great. Right, exactly, exactly. And when's that launch happening? Um, shoot, man, <laughs> it's got to be in the next couple months. I think. I think it's like in two months. I don't know exactly the date. To be honest with you, I wish I did. That's great. That's exciting. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. So, would you ever 
right for a game again or is this like a one and done deal or you you might not know yet or what what do you think yeah i mean i would definitely consider it for sure you know um but i guess it depends on you know uh, we'll, you know release this book see what happens there um try to get into screenplays see what happens there so i guess there's a lot of irons in the fire in that sense but you know if if the if the the graphic design was interesting enough you know and the team was cool enough then i would consider it for sure um well andrew i think that uh that wraps us up here it was a, it was a pleasure talking to you um happy for your success so far with the lost in the wicked and hope it uh kicks ass on these new platforms as well uh for sales and is uh would you like to drop where people can find more information about about your game yeah sure um you can look us up on twitter uh the lost in the wicked it should be right there um steam it's the lost in the wicked and look for it on xbox and ps marketplace and switch awesome and then um you want to drop anything else about about the the weed company? Oh yeah, for sure, um, buddy. Um, we have a Twitter page up. We're still working on a website, and we're working on an app that we hope will be um, functional in the next two months or so. Um, so look out for that. Um, if you just look up um, Buddy Brand LLC in Twitter, you can find our Twitter page. Um, so check that out, and we'll be sending out a lot more content and pictures and promotions etc to get everybody excited about it so yeah cool and it's a legal enterprise right yes yeah just wanted to <laughs> yes yes <laughs> just wanted to triple check that before we put this on the air yes that's always smart yeah but uh andrew thank you for for joining us this is uh abs- this is so much fun uh talking to you and uh i would definitely be up to have you on the show again if you if you uh, didn't have a bad time doing this yeah, man. You know, it was actually pretty fun. Uh, Good. <laughs> yeah, Graham, was, thanks for having me, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. I really appreciated the conversations, and um, I would be more than happy to come back on. All right, that wraps up our show. We want to thank Andrew for stopping by and being our guest for this episode. You can find out more about The Lost and the Wicked at thelostandthewicked.com. Find out more about Mudstack at mudstack.com, where you can join our Discord to interact with team members, our community of users, and learn more about what Mudstack does. Last but certainly not least, we want to thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on Clear as Mud.